Good morning. I'm glad to see you here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Today is a special Sunday, of course. We get, this time we called it Super Sunday. Sometimes we call it Sleep In Sunday. We've, uh, we've noticed that it doesn't help anyone to show up on time. You were early. Excellent. I was early too, but I'm early every Sunday, so Sunday's my one early day. <laughs> That's probably not the same for you. We, uh, we love the fellowship of the community of Christ, the church, the body, and uh, so we're, uh, we're happy to enjoy a time of worship together. I should mention that uh, every Sunday after the service, we have what we call a fellowship time, and uh, that's where we all go out here on the porch and we get some cookies and some coffee and some juice, and we just hang out and socialize for a little while. And uh, Franklin said we'd have a meeting immediately following the service, but we are not skipping the fellowship time. We don't. We don't skip the fellowship time. Of all the things that go on on Sunday that are holy, the fellowship time is one. So uh, we'll uh, have some time to socialize and, uh, and to catch up with each other as, as usual. It's really appropriate that we're having our annual meeting today. And, uh, well, I guess I should say the message we have for today is appropriate for that occasion. Because what we're talking about is uh, we live with God. Now, we live with God is like our slogan around here. And so what we've been doing in this fall season, we don't really have seasons, but, you know, this time since September or whatever, what we've been talking about is how do we envision the Christian life here at International Bible Church? What does it mean to live as a Christian? How would you go about it? And it's intended to be sort of a crash course, or we call it a quick start guide to the Christian life here. And uh, so we started by talking about what we believe, and then we talked We've been, in the last few weeks, talking about the values that arise from that particular set of beliefs. You see, values arise from beliefs in general. I value certain things because I believe certain things to be true. I have a particular perspective on the world, on the universe, and we sometimes call this a worldview, and that worldview determines what I think of as worthwhile and what I think of as worthless, what I value. And so we have a certain set of beliefs that are focused and centered around the person of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Christ that reconciles sinners to a holy God. That's the gospel. And that is at the heart of everything we do. And so when we started talking about values, we have a list that we live with God, we live with God, we live with God in such and such, in such and such. And every week, these things are printed in the bulletin right here under the order of service. They're there every time. Now, here's the thing about stuff that's there every time you get used to seeing it and you quit paying attention to it. So we are taking some time to pay attention to it. We live with God when we live by trusting in Christ. There is, in fact, no other way to live. All other ways are ways of dying. Only this is the way to live. We live when we trust in Christ. Jesus himself said this. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. It's really quite simple. If you don't believe in him, you don't have eternal life. If you don't believe in him, you are, in fact, dying. So we live with God in the good news that in Christ we live. And we receive that, we believe in that, we trust in that, and that is 
in fact, at the heart of everything we do. And so when we are making our statement of values, we start there. Everything we do in the church is grounded in that good news. We said we live with God in the scripture when we pay attention to his words. God has given us his word, written. Have you ever made a deal with somebody? Have you ever made a deal with somebody? What if you don't trust that person? What do you say? Can I get that in writing? Well, God didn't wait for us to say, can we get that in writing? Because frankly, we don't really trust him that well. But he gave it to us in writing. It's right here in this giant book we all study, the story of the, of the work of God to redeem lost people. So we can pay attention to God by paying attention to the Scripture. His Word, His sufficient Word is here in the book. How do we know Christ? We know Him in the words of Scripture. We live with God, thirdly, in prayer. This is the only statement in this list of statements that doesn't have something after. We live with God in the gospel when we live by trusting in Christ. We live with God in the scriptures when we pay attention to his word. We live with God in prayer. We live with God in prayer. One way of describing the entirety of being a Christian, living as a Christian, is the word pray. I say this a lot. That's because it is the entirety of the Christian life. So we have to say it because we forget. I think the Christian life is about me doing Christian things. Well, it does involve that, but that is what we call the fruit, the result, not the thing itself. The thing itself is to live in reliance upon God in Christ by the Spirit. I say that a lot. We, we trust in God in Christ. And by the Spirit, we depend on him. We look to him. We are the Abba people. That means we're the people who cry out Abba. We are not the people who depend upon our own resources or our own intelligence or our own strength. We depend upon him and what he provides. Maybe the better way of saying this is we're the people who recognize that that's what everyone has to do. The world doesn't grow stuff for us to eat except for the action of God. The world does not exist. Gravity does not hold us down on it if God does not sustain it. This is the word of God in scripture. He gives us all things to enjoy. There's every good and perfect gift is from above and proceeds down from the father of lights. It all depends on him. As Christians, we are simply the people who have recognized that reality in Christ and by the spirit. We have given up our rebellion against God and come to God instead of run from God. We live with God in prayer. Everything you do should be a prayer. Everything you do that is not a prayer is a waste of time. Paul said it like this, pray without ceasing. And it is possible for all anything I might do to be 
done in dependence upon the Father God in Christ and by the Spirit. That is possible. And that is a way in which we grow, and it is really only the Really, the only true measure of real Christian growth is growth in that kind of faith. Real Christian growth isn't growing in my abilities. Real Christian growth is growing in grace, that is, growing in his abilities. Growing in what he has done not what I might do. Now, it turns out, if I rely on him, I can do amazing things. He will do amazing things in my life, around my life, for my life. He might even enable me to endure horrible suffering, even death, for the glory of the grace of God in Christ. That would be incredible, amazing. You see, we don't have a very good idea of what constitutes an actual blessing, do we? We think if I win the lottery, God has blessed me. But the scripture says he's granted to us the privilege of suffering for his sake. All right, so what lesson do I glean from this? Trust him, walk in faith, Live a life of prayer. So, now on to today's lesson, which was actually last week's lesson. We live with God in worship. And we talked about this last time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That sounds like a worship service. I let the gospel so occupy me that I have to sing. And I need to get together with you, the other people, occupied by the great good news of God's grace so that we can get together and go, hey, remember Jesus? Yeah, our life is solved. We are in a position of absolute security We can be courageous and bold in our witness to this reality. Let's sing. You can't come in here and just mumble about the good news. You've never mumbled about any other bit of good news in your entire life. If your team wins, you don't go, hey, my team won. If you suddenly inherit a million dollars, well, you might keep that a secret. Good news is good news. You jump up and down, you clap your hands, you sing, you shout, you cheer when good news happens. Has good news happened here? The good news has happened here. So we worship. The scripture says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Whatever's gone out on out there in the world in the last six days since you were here last, all that trouble and mess you've had to deal with, all the struggles, everything. Do you need grace? You better believe it. Do you need help in time of need? Absolutely. We don't have a savior who doesn't know it. He's experienced it 
way worse than you do. I mean, think about it. The injustice you have to struggle against. People do you wrong all the time, I know. You can go, you can go into the store just, you know, to pick up some eggs or something, and just by the fact that you're bumping into people in the world, someone could mistreat you. It happens all the time in tiny little ways, and sometimes it happens in great big ways. Someone could rob your house, vandalize your property, abuse your children, These things happen. We do not have a Savior who has no capacity to understand. He is the person who was treated the most unfairly ever. And he endured, as the Scripture says, for the joy that was set before him. And so we know when we come before God, when we are praying, when we gather to worship, we know our Savior understands it all. Not just intellectually understands. He's been through it with us. And so we can come with confidence in Christ, with confidence in Christ. I have no reason to be confident in myself. I have every reason to be confident in him. And so I can come with boldness and cry out, Abba, and expect a loving, embracing response, which promises to perfectly care for me every moment of every day of my entire life even through whatever abuse this world piles on me. Worship. Scripture defines worship like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That word acceptable, it really is pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is what worship is. See the beauty of the living Christ, the one risen from the dead, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to see the beauty of the risen Christ, throw myself on him, in him, to follow the moving of the Spirit to put my faith in Him, to come to God reconciled to a righteous, holy God, me, the God who must judge sin, embraces me, big sinner, because I am in Christ and because I am possessed by the Spirit, because I come In Christ, because I come in view of his mercy, I come and I can do nothing but throw myself before him. That's worship. We live with God in worship. When we gather and sing, the Spirit is here. He's in each of us and he's among us according to Scripture. The very living God is present in this room when we come together. And he's present in this room when we come together in another way, beyond the way he's present in you at all times. The Spirit of God is the spirit of our fellowship in Christ. We is a big deal, a word that matters. 
I want you to notice in these texts of Scripture I've read, Colossians 3.16, Hebrews 4.15 and 16, Romans 12.1, they're all about us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Us. Now you can march yourself into the Lord's office at any time in any situation, no matter what. You are a child of God. He is happy to see you. Your life is a prayer. If you are one who trusts in Christ, your whole life is lived in the presence of God Almighty with his careful supervision of every last thing that happens. So, but this says us. Let us draw near. That's what we're doing right here, right now. Let us. What I'm doing as a preacher of the word of God, of the gospel of Christ, this is what I'm doing. I'm standing in front of you before the great beauty of the gospel of God's grace, and I am saying to you, get a load of this. Sue uh, gave me a class one time about being a tour guide. Here's what tour guides do. They ride at the front of the bus, and they say, so you see here, see those little yellow stones? Those are actually markers of dive sites. Bonaire is one of the premier destinations in the whole wide world for people who like to scuba dive. You could learn to scuba dive if uh, you're a tour, you're here on one of those cruise ships. You could come back and spend a whole week here and you'd have some of the most amazing scuba diving the world has ever seen. You should, that's what a tour guide does. He gets you to see something you can't see about something you can see. That's what I am. I'm a tour guide. That's all I do here. I want you to see Christ in his great, magnificent beauty, his love for you, his grace, his literally unbelievable sacrifice that he gave out of love for the joy set before him to bring you back to real fellowship with the living God Almighty and delivering in the process, in bringing you to faith, giving his very spirit to dwell in you. God lives in you. That is crazy. Here's what I'm trying to do. Get you to look. See the great beauty of the message of God's grace in the Holy Scriptures and to go, oh, yeah, yeah. That's worship. To say, yes, I am his, I am yours, we are his, we come together. In this passage from Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you. The word there is literally, literally y'all, you, all you people. I appeal to y'all, therefore, brothers, brothers, not brother, by the mercies of God to present y'all's body, plural, y'all's bodies, bodies, plural, you brothers, plural, by the mercies of God to present, plural, by the way, in Greek, verbs have plural or singular, that's a plural verb, present, your, plural, bodies, plural, a living sacrifice, singular, I don't think that's by accident. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your plural, y'all's, spiritual worship, singular. This is, we're in this together, folks. Worship. We live with God in worship. When we gather, when we gather on Sunday mornings to worship and when we live in the world day by day, 
for his honor. I want you to be a tour guide. To go out there in the world and say, hey, get a load of this. This is the good news. This is it. This is fantastic. We live for his honor. We live for his honor. That's not hard if I see his mercies. Then I live for his honor. We live with God in fellowship. The word in the New Testament for fellowship is the word koinonia, and the word koinonia literally means in common. The language of the New Testament is written in Greek, but it's not just any old Greek. It's a particular kind of Greek called koine Greek. Koine means common. In other words, it's not sophisticated Greek. It's not classical Greek. It's not uh, grammatically correct Greek. It's everyday, y'all, let me tell you how it is, Greek. Common. It doesn't even have really especially good grammar. I'm sorry if that troubles you about the New Testament, but it's common, everyday language that was, at the time, spoken nearly everywhere. It was the language of trade. It was common. Everybody could speak it, and nobody could speak it very well. That word, common, is the basis of the word for fellowship, koinonia, which means sharing, uh, sharing a commonality. We could call it commonality. It's, it's being together. By the way, this word gets used very broadly. It gets used for uh, what we might say, well, let's say, what do we give the kids in sports who don't win? We give them a participation award. They took part. When the, when the New Testament wants to use the word participation, it uses the word koinonia. It means to share in something. Here you are, koinonia-ing in the church. You're here. You're participating. You're here. You are not here for nothing. So the Bible says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And we talked about this last time. It says, consider one another. In other words, I'm supposed to think of you and I'm supposed to think carefully about you in order to figure out how to encourage you to do something good or loving. Some sacrifice on your part for the sake of someone else. We're all supposed to be doing that, not just me. Now, that takes a lot of forms. And, you know, the worst form is yelling. I could encourage you to do something good or loving by yelling at you. Hey, do something loving. You can see how that's not that great. Or I can think about you and think about how I might facilitate the things you could do that would encourage someone else. You see how I'm encouraged by thinking about how to encourage this is fellowship. This is the sort of fellowship we are supposed to grow into in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, we read this word. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, the communion, the Lord's table, and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And here's a key verse. All who believed were together and had all things in common. That's fellowship. See, fellowship is sort of comprehensive. It involves sharing any resource. It, it means what's mine is yours. If I have something and you need it, I share. Now, I'm not stupid about this. We don't, we don't quit taking care of things because of this. But uh, if, if I have a car and you need a ride, I do what I can to give it to you. If I have spare money and you need to buy groceries, I give something so that you can do so. It says here they had everything in common. They, they really thought for a moment here in the very beginning of the church, they really thought full of the spirit that whatever I have is for everyone here. That what I have has been given by God. So not really mine, but ours. It goes on to say, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They actually came up with a system for this in the church. That means uh, if, if you needed groceries and I had two cars, I might sell one of my cars to buy groceries for you. This is the sort of comprehensive fellowship that is envisioned in the body of Christ. I don't really think of my things as mine. Oh, and by the way, this goes to all my things, not just cars and bank accounts, but my education, my skills, my particular inclinations in particular ways of serving. When I serve in the church, it's only this. I have something I can do that the church needs, so I do it. I have a particular, maybe, I'm some kind of engineer type of person, and there's some teenagers in our church that need to figure out how to do geometry. So I give geometry lessons. It's, it's anything and everything. Everyone has something they are here to provide. You, we've talked about this. We talk about this all the time. When God brought you here, he brought you here to bring you here. Because what we are here is somebody that needs you in some way. Fellowship. It can be anything and everything. It's a comprehensive sharing. It's the movement of things from abundance to need. It's also simple togetherness, rejoicing, grieving. That's what you remember, Romans. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Suffer with those who suffer. Grieve with those who grieve. It is a being there. It doesn't, we don't have to think about this in any complicated way. We just need to be together and remember, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. We are in the Abba family together. We look together to the, for the Lord's provision. And if you have a promotion, I rejoice with you. If you have a loss, I bear it too. It's a simple togetherness, and it's a comprehensive sharing. It's a community of people, a fellowship. We live with God when we share life together in Christ. All of life, not just on Sunday. We live with God in service, it says. We live with God in service when we imitate the servanthood of Jesus Christ. Well, let's read about that from Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Okay. You know how the world is, right? People in charge take advantage of people they are in charge of. People with a lot of money take advantage of the people with not much money. People with a lot of power take advantage of the people with not much power. Right? It's just the way the world works, of course. It shall not be so here. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you, now he uses a even harder word, must be your slave. Someone who regards himself as owned by the other. By the way, Philippians chapter 2 says that's how Jesus thought. Anyway, even as the Son of Man, oh yeah, here Jesus holds himself up as an example. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We live with God when we adopt this attitude, I am servant of all. When we adopt that attitude, what's going on is the very spirit of Christ is living the life of Christ in me. Paul said, man, if I could just suffer, I'd share this thing with Jesus. If I could suffer for love's sake in the body of Christ, I would have this fellowship with Jesus on another level that I don't have if I don't. If I refuse to serve, then I don't know Christ like I could know Christ. And he says, Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, Knowing Christ is the best possible thing I can imagine happening. Fellowship with Christ. That's what I'm hoping we see here on our tour. The thing that is the best thing that could happen to you is that you would somehow see Christ as he is. And in that fellowship, the scripture says, when we see him, we'll be like him. When you see him now, you'll be like him. When you see the great love of Christ in his service to you on the cross, you will automatically, without even thinking about it, think about how you could also do that. You have little opportunities everywhere all the time. Smiling at somebody when you don't feel that great might be one of these Service. The Son of Man came not to serve, not, I'm sorry, not to be served, but to serve. Now, the last thing, these are like mighty things. The last thing is creation. We live with God in creation when we enjoy the things He has made. I might want to add, as things He has made. Because I can enjoy the things he has made and have no recognition for the fact that they're made. I might think I made them. I can enjoy, I could make myself some, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow morning, by the way. Tomorrow's my day off. Tomorrow morning I'm going to get up whenever I wake up. No alarm on Mondays. No, no alarms. I wake up when I wake up and you know what I do? I fix myself Bacon and eggs with hash browns. They sell these great, like, already made hash browns in the store, you know. I get those. I make this huge breakfast. And I really enjoy that thing I made. Oh, wait. 
I live with God in creation when I recognize I did not make any eggs or any bacon or any hash browns. Those are potatoes, by the way, for those who are not from America. When I enjoy those things as gifts from my loving Father, then I'm living in fellowship. I'm living with God. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, verse 17. For the, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That means arrogant, proud of themselves. Think that they're rich because of something special about them nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I'm telling you, man, earthly riches, really uncertain. You've seen, we've all, I think, lived long enough to see at least one down cycle in a stock market someplace where wealth just disappears. Just disappears. Because we all decided that that share of those companies just wasn't worth what we thought it was yesterday. And suddenly, my retirement account goes from here to here. Riches are very uncertain. I hope you're not putting any confidence or faith or hope or trust in your ability to pile up money. That would be foolish in the extreme. Sorry, I got a little distracted. He says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And then he says something about God, who richly, not in a miserly way, but richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Rich people, they are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Now that word share is a koinonia word, just so you know. Whatever God gives you is for sharing, not storing up. He says here, when you're ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. If you know God's taking care of you, you are free to take care of anyone else. I don't need to keep track of my bank account too carefully. I don't need to hang on to my stuff real hard. If I know God's taking care of me, I can even be foolish, and that will not be a cause for God to quit taking care of me. He knew I was foolish when he signed up for this deal. When God says... My, where Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Well, he's not playing around, and he knew you can't be trusted with this stuff. You will do crazy dumb stuff with the stuff he gives you, and he gives it to you anyway. I can be foolishly generous when I know the love of my Father God. Now, I don't encourage you to be foolishly generous. But sometimes, sometimes, you will know, you will know, here is a sacrifice I am going to make, led by the Spirit of God for the love of the church, for the love of my brother, for the love of somebody. And I don't know what's going to happen because I can't really afford this, but I'm giving it. Sometimes this happens when the Lord directs you to move a certain place or take a certain job. I know a lot of you have experience with this. When I've been in ministry for roughly 15 years, the Lord said, I want you to quit and go to school. That means go from this salaried position to paying a fortune every year. I don't know how I can do that. I mean, I have maybe, maybe I could go for a year on my savings, maybe, but I got to go for three years 
I don't know. Can I do? I don't know how that's going to happen. But you know what? After I start wondering about how am I going to do that, I, that makes no sense. That's kind of a dumb thing to do. After a while, though, I said, oh, but that's what God says do, so I will do it. It's not like I'm going to say no. One person you don't want to be is Jonah. That guy is the joke of Old Testament prophets, a joke he wrote himself seeing how funny it was, how really ridiculous it was to be a prophet of God who says no to God. You, didn't, you can't be that. You know this. Some of you have done exactly what I'm talking about, where you said God is calling us here, but that, that can't be done. But we're doing it anyway because God said, I don't know how it happened, but somehow I finished my seminary degree without even needing to get too many jobs along the way. I don't know what happened. When I was in seminary, God said, why don't you go over to Africa and do your internship over there? I'm like, yeah, who's paying for that? Well, God did, because God sent me there, so he paid for it. Here's the thing about God. I don't care who you are. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Your God, Father Abba, has said to you, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory. And if you know that, You can do whatever he calls you to do. You can take whatever risks he asks you to take. You can talk to whoever he asks you to talk to. I, I mean, Jesus said this to the disciples. Don't worry too much about what you're going to say when they arrest you, you know. I'm like, wait, what? Arrest? He said, you know, when they come and arrest you for, you know, preaching my, the word about me, when they arrest you, don't worry, you know, don't try to make a plan for that. Just, you know, I'll give you the words as you need them. Now, if I'm a disciple, how worried am I? I'm only as worried as to whatever degree I'm not sure about that promise. If I know that promise is true, I don't worry. This is service we're talking about. You can serve. You can pay stuff you can't afford. You can give, uh, you can give sacrificially if you know Christ, because Christ is the provider, not you. And whatever he's provided you, he's provided us in you. Do you hear that? Whatever he's provided you, he's provided us in you. I don't, and I'm not asking you to go empty out your bank account and give it to the church. No. I'm th asking you to think about who you belong to. You belong to him, I belong to him, and so I belong to you, because you belong to him too. And we are a family. We live in fellowship. We live in service. And we live in creation when we enjoy the things he's made. You see, all of these things go together. And there's like a pattern, a pattern that starts with grace, starts with grace. If it doesn't start with grace, it's missing. It's out. Of, it won't work. If I ask you to give sacrificially and I can't tell you that God will provide for you in every way, then I'm just manipulating you. It starts with grace, the provision of God in Christ. Then it moves to gratitude. Gratitude. Mike. <laughs> I don't understand why I... Christ has delivered me. 
Christ has promised provision for me. Christ intercedes for me. He's even given me his very spirit in me to live and direct and walk. Wow. Thank you. Gratitude. And then, and only then, it moves to generosity. If my generosity is not grounded in God's grace, then the only glory it can give is to me. If it's founded in his grace, my generosity glorifies him. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They see you doing something good and they give him the credit. If your, if your generosity is grounded in his grace, you are alive, my friend. We live with God, with God we live. Those are our values. We live with him in the gospel when we live by trusting in Jesus Christ. We live with him in the scriptures when we pay attention to his words. We live with him in prayer. We live with him in worship when we gather on Sundays, when we live for his honor every day. We live with him in fellowship when we share life together in Christ. We live with him in service when we imitate the servanthood of Christ. We live with him in creation when we enjoy the things he's made as things he's made. We have it great. <clears throat> we have it great. Father, we thank you for your great love. Lord, I thank you for these folks, their attention to your word. Lord, help us to walk every day in the good news. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.